0: Vital Preacher. I'm Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And hey, I'm Zach Ferris. Coming to you from that old
1: mountain standard time in the centennial state, uh,
0: Colorado. So, um, what uh, what's going on in the state of Colorado uh, for Sunday, September 17th?
1: You know, we're getting back into the group, but, but the thing I want to talk about, Matt, it's important to talk <laughs> yeah. about your successes and your failures. I oh. bombed on Sunday night, man. It was what? bad. Bombed. <laughs> Complete turd. How so? I got caught up trying to preach an idea instead of the good news, and it never ends well when you try to preach an idea uh, rather than trying to preach the good news. Trying to do too much stuff without enough work to go into it to bring it out the other side. Ugh, it was awful. And I had the realization in the middle of it that it was bombing, but there was nowhere yeah. to go. I guess we that just was my,
0: That was my follow-up question is like, when did you realize
1: it? In the middle. I mean, I, yeah. I thought I had it. Like, I wasn't that worried about it. I knew because we had talked about it, right? And I got a tech study. I, I knew what I wanted to do, I thought. Uh, but then in the middle, this is just a complete turd relaying here. And, and we still got a long way to go. Cause, <laughs> we haven't got to the, the good news that's not going to get us out of this hole yet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I am um, our friend Jonathan Hemphill likes to do he likes to switch up the word in the meal and do the meal first and like close with the word so that you give like people a good word and and I respect that like we have Lutheran freedom to mm-hmm. switch up the liturgy. I don't like that because <laughs> like if I if I drop a turn, I want to I want to know that like there's something else coming in the service, right? Yeah. Like Right? like So at least if my sermon sucked, hey, at least we got the sacrament, which even I can't screw up. Right?
1: No, meal's dependable. <laughs> Meal is right? dependable. Unlike me, I'm not <laughs> dependable. I preached a good one the week before. Students never give me yeah. feedback on sermons, and I got feedback about how they thought it was so good last week. And then this week oh i knew it i knew it was awful and i thought maybe it'd be okay because here's the trouble because preachers fall into it like everybody else it was labor day weekend i didn't want to put a ton of time and energy into it hardly any students were going to be there right Uh, but then like a decent amount of them
0: showed up and bad sorry this is uh this is the life of a preacher did you like spend all day the next day thinking about it too uh no i
1: was able to forget about it quickly cut loose
0: you just cut loose I yeah, just
1: well, I mean, I'm thinking about it now, and I'm going to hold on to it, and so hopefully I'll redeem myself this week. That's hopefully it'll be the motivation to to get at least one good sermon in this month.
0: If I can do one good one a
1: month,
0: <laughs> um, that's going to be the challenge for you too. I mean, because um, my sermon was pretty bad on Sunday too. I thought, and I kind of real, I was like, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be good. I thought there were some like good parts. And I then, thought like, had it, a, it
1: was a good idea. You it know? just wasn't a sermon.
0: <laughs> but like now that I'm. I'm like five and a half years in and so like Mm -hmm. you know people are like I feel like they're willing to put up with with a crappy sermon Mm -hmm. because they're not not all that bad and like we know them well enough like well you could put okay (laughs) we'll we'll give you this one right like Mm -hmm. you can drop a bad song because I know you I still like that hit single you had and you know (laughs) you have a you have a larger body of work right um which is also true for you, but you have to, like, restart your community every year. I know. I mean, I think a part
1: of it was the new community. I mean, I'm not going to make any excuses. I didn't do enough work to prepare to preach well. That's the, that's the honest truth, right? But if I were to make excuses, I would say that, that a part of it is this was only the second Sunday of this new community coming together. So there's still some feeling out I need to do of what exactly the space. Because that is a, a, a thing that... As a, as a traveling preacher, from pulpit to pulpit, especially when you don't know where you're going, the space is different, and it preaches different, yeah. and that, that really varies for us based on who's there, what's going on, that kind of stuff.
0: No, that's true. I feel like we talked about this before, too. Like, it depends so much on, like, who shows up that Sunday, you'll prepare this sermon thinking mm-hmm. it's going to be this one community, and then it'll be, like, the complete opposite yeah. community. <laughs> I'll prepare just a sermon
1: like... all about the lives of, lives of students, and that <laughs> night it will be just young adults. <laughs> not in college anymore and some old people will show up and there's not a student
0: there brutal i did think like so you mentioned the preparation work and i feel like um i was thinking about i was this is this is really horrible but i it was it stuck with me somehow because sports metaphors are so corny and i just like it's just a bad idea so i'm I'm warning you ahead of time listeners
1: i tried to save it on sunday with a sports metaphor
0: that's how bad it was. Did you, did you pull out a sports metaphor? It didn't go well. So I'm listening to the the Bill Simmons podcast with uh, Willie McGinnis. Did you listen to that? I did. One? That was a good one yeah, I thought it that's pretty good. And they had he had this little it was like a very short little thing where he's talking about how, um, I think McGinnis talked about how like Sunday, and I thought he, this was probably oversimplified, but he talked about like Sundays being fun. Mm-hmm. and it was like the week where the game is won, right? which sounds like like a coaching cliche, right? But that it's like during the week where it's I was like, yeah, that probably is like how I should think about my mm-hmm. preaching, right? That like it's done during the week. and by the time you get to Sunday, you just got to let it go, right? Just let it rip. <laughs> just let it, let it rip. But that it's really done during the week. Sometimes I forget that, and I'm like, I try to, like, pour all this energy into... that Usually it's not when it goes well.
1: <laughs> These days, my preaching Achilles heel, it's great to have the podcast. It forces me to think ahead. I've, I've gotten much better <laughs> at being prepared and knowing each text, in particular, knowing its context, right, and how it relates to things before and after it. But then the back end of, like... I get overconfident because I know this text inside and out now. I know a lot. I've sat on it for two weeks. I don't need to sit down and write a sermon because, I mean, I basically, I've got a good news statement already. I'll just flesh it out a bit more, right? And we'll be good. And then it's Sunday afternoon and I'm like, oh, God, I have to, I don't have enough time. I've got to, I've got to print bulletins. This is. uh." Yep.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love how it's Sunday afternoon for you. Yeah. Which
1: is worse. It's worse, man. This is worse. Oh Mm. how about you? What's happening in uh South LA on September seventeenth?
0: Oh, the freaking LA Rams are happening. Oh my (laughs) gosh. It's a it is the it is such a double edged sword for our community. We have um the uh the LA Rams play across the street and so we're gonna do fundraising and self parking and if you've never done, like, NFL tailgating, which I have, have not because Bears tickets were really expensive and I cared more about basketball. But, like, man, these people are out tailgating at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning. The game does not start until 1. And, like, the Rams tailgaters last year, they took a, they were at a different level mm-hmm. than the SC tailgaters that park in our line, at least. I, yeah. think the, I think there are other SC tailgating that is a little bit more. But, like, the people that park in our line are like, pretty low-key. These, oh, man, it's crazy. So, like, it would be really hard for us to have church in the midst of that and frankly it'd be really hard for people to get to church so we've had to figure out some alternatives um, our alternative plan for this year is to go on a 25th anniversary of New City Parish because it's the 25th anniversary oh so nice we got seven football games Sundays and seven churches to visit Sweet. what perfect right how are you going to we- Nobody's going to do it, but it's a great idea. It is an excellent <laughs> idea. How are you going to be at both places? I'm not going to, I like, I'm I'm not going to, I'm unlikely to travel to the places I'm sending people oh. to hopefully go to those places. Gotcha. Um, we'll kind of see how it goes. It'd be great if I could get, like, volunteers to take over on Sundays. But my, my administrator, who is the other, like, person that usually runs it, wants to do the SC football games on Saturdays instead of Sundays. She so doesn't, like, know with the Sunday crowd. So yeah. she's doing Saturdays, which takes that load off. But no, yeah. I'm still in charge of Sundays. Anyway. The most um, amazing part of all through. this, Matt, yeah. is yeah. that you're telling me
1: that there are fans of the Los Angeles Rams in Los Angeles. <laughs> I didn't know they had and those
0: there are, like, I knew some before the Rams came. Like, people that were, like, they went to, like, the parades, the rallies to, like, get the Rams back. Wow. I feel like people were much more excited before last season, though, than they are before this season. Yeah, it doesn't so, look good. It doesn't look good. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like, our preseason lot was not was not full. It was, like, half full. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe if once the regular season gets started, people get into it. Um, but still we make like a thousand dollars a game at least between a, a thousand and 1500 and that pays for for usually mostly for our youth gatherings which are expensive to go to and that's a really cool thing that we wouldn't otherwise really be able to afford so i feel good about that i really hope that people go visit the different new city parish churches because um you know our folks are usually at our place on Sundays, so they don't get to experience what the different worship is like. Where are folks supposed to go this week? This, uh, well, for the the tenth, they're supposed to go to Community Lutheran, and then they're going to do Community Lutheran is where the uh, is spearheading the God's Work Our Hands event at Skid Row. So if you want to participate in that, they can do that. That'd be really fun. Um, and I'm going to try to run over to Skid Row at like one o'clock when the parking is done. And then uh, um, on the 17th, we're gonna go to Pueblo de Dios Lutheran Church. They worship at noon, so I'm hoping that most of mm-hmm. the party will be done by then and I can run down and make it to that worship. We've been doing more stuff with Pueblo. where They sent one of their youth to the youth gathering with us and hopefully in Houston, we're gonna travel with one of their youth. So we're building a close relationship with Pueblo de Dios, which is located in Compton, California. So we are going straight into Compton. They know how to
1: party. Why does Pueblo de Dios uh, worship at noon? I've not heard of anyone else worshiping at noon. <laughs> like as their only service. I don't know. The I, movement uh, is, is much more towards like 6 a.m. worship, so then church doesn't ruin the rest of your day. But
0: Yeah, and we could do, like, that's the other option for us, that we should we could do like a really early morning mm-hmm. worship. So maybe next year I'll... No, that's not going to work for I still y'all. Don't, I still don't think anybody's going to come.
1: No, nobody's going to be there on time. Well,
0: what are you? What kind of sermon are you going to be giving here in the parking lot? What time? Like the, in you, a, well, they, the game start about one o'clock out here. Uh, we did do um, we did have communion in the parking lot last year, and I did like a little freestyle sermon. Like I didn't really write mm-hmm. anything, but I'd, like I, I freestyled it. That's what I did I like, on cool.
1: Sunday night,
0: and it went good, real <laughs> good. It went, it went real good. <laughs> I mean, like this kind of freestyle was like like a two one to two minute sermon, which is sometimes a bit easier than like a ten minute sermon, right? Because you just all you really have to do is set it up and so that actually was kind of fun so i may do that um but i'm probably going to postpone this text to the 24th because i don't want to miss this text that we've got coming up
1: it's important up. man uh, uh, it's an important. you said kick off to what time
0: like one it's time for the t- 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 text oh oh <laughs> Yeah, time for the text. And uh, wow, what a kairos time this text is. We have got Exodus 14, 19 to 31. Uh, we've been working our way through Exodus after working our way through Genesis. And here is like the turning point, if there is one in the text. This one actually is a visual reading. I know you thought Finally. you're not very familiar with the visual. You thought <laughs> the burning post was a visual reading. This is actually the visual reading. Um, it actually, I think the visual reading actually extends this text a little bit before it- Definitely after, because I know we get the song of Mir. Um, but we we'll, i think we'll use the whole biblical text, because it's—it's good to include that stuff. So this is the Israelites passing through the sea. They're going through the sea. They are—if uh, you don't know the story—they're on the run. Pharaoh has finally—he's issued uh, an executive order that they can—they can leave. And then what? He changes his mind. He rescinds the executive order it's the bible is a non-apolitical document isn't it that's right i mean pharaoh he's just enforcing the executive order that he himself made up in the first mm, place gosh. and so he is uh he's just going to go enforce the law pharaoh's going out he's going to enforce the law he's going to chase down these people and they are stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea here they are and um they cry out, and Moses cries out, and God comes back, and he says, I got this. And so God moves, there's, interesting, this story starts, there's a couple of paragraphs here that are separated out. It begins, God uh, moves behind the Israelite army, and the pillar of cloud moves and goes behind the Israelites, so that there's a lot of movement happening here in the beginning. You've got this army of Egyptians, and you've got God moving God's pieces around the chessboard, so that the, so that it's no longer the Israelites that are walled in, but, but, uh, Pharaoh's army that's walled in Moses stretches his hand over the sea and the Lord drives the sea back hey if you're gonna uh, do God's work our hands Sunday this month or if maybe you're reflecting back on God's work our hands Sunday I mean this has got to be where that uh, little ELCA tagline came from this is this is literally God's work and Moses mm-hmm. just stretches out his hand that's all Moses is doing stretching out his hand God is doing the work it's very very clear God drives the sea back God turns the sea into dry land creation itself is moving around calling back to genesis here the waters form a wall for the israelites on their right and on their left i think this image of wall is kind of interesting too because the the sea at the beginning of the story the sea is the wall that is an obstacle For these Israelites, God moves them around and they become a wall of protection uh, for the Israelites. First, they're an obstacle to the Israelites' freedom, and now they become this wall of protection. Transformation. Transformation. It's incredible. Transformation. Um, The Egyptians pursue. They run in. God clogs their chariot wheels, and the Egyptians say, Let us flee, for the Lord is fighting for the Israelites against Egypt. The Egyptians call this out. The Egyptians proclaim the truth. And then the Lord says to Moses, stretch your hand over the sea, and the water comes back upon the Egyptians. So the, that water that was an obstacle becomes a wall of protection and now turns in upon the enemy itself uh, and becomes a wall of destruction. Oh. The I
1: know it's if crazy. only the gospel weren't so apolitical. <laughs> Hippoly. Transformed Hippoly. walls. Oh, gosh. Immigrants. <sighs> Jeez. Oh my God!
0: I know, right? And so then the Lord, the Lord saved. The, this is the conclusion. The Lord saves Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. The people believed the Lord, and then it closes. We don't get this, but the psalmody. It's interesting. People think the psalm, the psalmody uh, is always from the Psalms. This one says Psalm 114, or you can use Exodus 15, Ooh, 1 to 11, 20, the psalm 21. The psalm. of Moses. All the songs of Moses and Miriam gets done hey, in Mary. there. 2021 is Miriam and all the women that do a liturgical dance. So all that time that we were uh, in seminary and uh, folks would roll their eyes at liturgical dances. Yes, that happened. Uh, here is the liturgical dance right here in the screen. I'm sorry. Y'all that don't like liturgical dances right here. It's right here. There it is. So it's good, right? Just, just read the, the story. Stories. Just read the just story. Just, just read the story that's all you i do think i lift up i mean i lifted up a few things just telling the story but i think um you know this is here we are in the the 500th year of the reformation um and if you want to bring up some really strong lutheran themes one of the key pieces here is that this really is god's action god does the action here god drives the sea back god turns the sea to dry land Um, the people walk into the sea on dry ground the people do walk by faith i mean quite like literally they take that step of faith but it's a response to what god already did dividing those waters so the interplay between god and the people really is a god's act and the people's response so much so that you can it's really interesting here we talked about this earlier in an earlier exodus text but god does not call israel to pick up the sword against the egyptian army right here you have an army pursuing and one thing that could happen is that the guy could say all right pick up your arms and i'll fight with you and um you destroy the egyptians with your swords and your weapons god does not do that here God takes vengeance. God um, does that action. Israel is not called to pick up that sword. Israel is simply called to pass, to walk through the sea uh, and to find Israel's way to the other side. So really, it's a really key piece, I think. You could even say that Israel lays down its sword and shield at the riverside, right? What? There, I know. I know. It's such a biblical story. I also, think, I also think this is really interesting. that God does two things here, I think, that are, that are interesting. God first immediately rescues the Israelites. They walk through the dry land. They walk through the, the dry land. They find their way to the other side. God protects this people. Um, God provides this people sanctuary through the waters, right, and protects this individual group of people. But then God could have just ended it there, right? God could have just ended it there and left those Egyptians on the other side of the sea— and they're just separated by these waters at the end. But instead, God deals with the bigger problem. That's the second thing God does, is that God comes and deals with the structural issue and just washes the Egyptians away. Um, And so I think that piece is really interesting. God first rescues, and then God defeats evil. Martin Luther King preached a sermon on this text uh, that's in the... The collection strength to love and he identifies the egyptians not merely with the people but with evil itself and that that's what god does here that god just that this is this um metaphorical cosmic story it's a story it's a story of a people it's a historical uh kind of narrative but it's also this cosmic metaphor that's why it comes up again and again including when we get to christianity including when we get to that holy week and easter weekend uh because this is also a metaphor for what god does with evil in general and so in a similar way here's my my last uh, piece, and then I'm going to shut up and stop talking. But if we saw this as a baptismal text, I wonder if we can see it not just as good people and bad people, but that in the waters, God drowns our Egyptian selves, right? That there's maybe there's some Egyptian and some Israelite in each of us, and that um, if in baptism there is a drowning, it's a drowning of, uh, of the Egyptian, the Pharaoh side within each of us. And uh, and that might be one way to think about think about this. That this isn't just good people and bad people, uh, but that there's some israelites and some Pharaoh in each of us.
1: Beautiful, Matt. Beautiful. I love it. What comes to mind? I don't, I don't have any really exegetical stuff to add on top of this, right? But how to preach it? I think I'm, I'm gonna, I, I'd set it up. I'm seeing setting it up with a question about whether the story is true or not. Right? Is this story? True, this is a ridiculous, miraculous story. Um, and then I see a sermon that really is pretty close to just reading the text, uh, maybe throwing some uh, context in here and there, but it's a story that you could start with having a, a rhetorical question of of is the story true and you could lift up how ridiculous it is, how unlikely and probable it is and by the end of the story, I think you could pull everyone around uh, pretty easily. Just seeing that this story is, might be true, and that's probably good news in of itself in this place in can,
0: can I use the Neil the Neil Gaiman via G.K. Chesterton quote that uh, fairy stories are are um, we tell fairy stories not because dragons are real, but to tell us that dragons can be beaten? Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I use that quote? Can I, I, I pull think it out? so. I think
1: this is when you oh, use it, such man. A good,
0: such a good quote. Right. That's
1: beautiful. Beautiful man. I like I mean the stuff lifted up is great, The their only command is to walk right keep on Walking that's doable. I can do that. I can walk. I can keep walking. I can take another step uh, Even in the midst of dragons or surrounded by walls of of Water or, or whatever the the obstacles in my life are. I can do that man And I see here Matt a beautiful segue um Beautiful segue, because I I, I like as well, you lift it up, right? Not only is your, you have this small, this micro-command, just keep on walking. The promise is that if you keep on walking, freedom and salvation, life comes, the obstacles are removed, they're transformed into your pattern of life. Um, But the second one is that God addresses the big uh, issue, the big structural problem, and washes the Egyptians away, which you can read, right, it's pretty bloody stuff, Um, if you read it very strictly and literally there's the um i have a a slight story we'll do that there's some image there's some language i believe right about the egyptian the bodies of the egyptian soldiers washing up on the shores on the other side of the red sea and i've got a great story about a student of Mine, when we were doing Bible study, the best Bible study we ever did, Who the, the Egyptian bodies were actually her way into understanding that the text might be real, and the connection that she first made was that some of the, the stumbling blocks, hit the gospel from a couple weeks ago, uh, in her life were just dead Egyptian soldiers. Huh. that they didn't need to be. They weren't the walls of water that she could let the Egyptian sh- soldiers lie dead on the beach and she could keep on walking instead of tending to these dead Egyptian soldiers, right? Which is really bloody metaphor. It's without, unable to be redeemed, right? And the student found, a, like, it was the source of life in this story for her. Wow. Um, right?
0: Yeah, that'll preach.
1: Mm-hmm. Whew. Whew why you love a good narrative and not this Jesus that just sits around teaching and talking in parables. <laughs> um, the connection here is what? the big structural problem. Uh, last week we talked about Jesus gave some instructions on how to live in the community together, what to do uh, when one sins in the community, you talk to him about it, then you get two or three people, and then you go to the church um, and we lifted it up that there's this whole part left out of that where Jesus has talked about how the, uh, what you are to do is to turn the other cheek. And so it follows up with this short teaching, and then we get into a parable where somebody says, that sounds great, uh, but what if the person keeps on uh, sinning, right? You get reconciled, and they keep doing the thing uh, that they have said they are not going to do anymore. How many times should we forgive them? And Jesus says, uh, 77, right? Which is this uh, euphemism for never stop forgiving them. Um, but there's a qualifier, because we get this little parable, uh, which can be is a little bloody, like uh, our Exodus story, right? Um, Jesus tells the parable of a king who's wanted to settle accounts with his slaves, uh, and there's a slave who owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, let me go to Google and see what the talent is at these days. So a talent was equal to 6,000 denarii, denari, denari, uh, and a denari was uh, the amount you'd be paid for a day's labor. So 10,000 uh, talents is an astronomical sum. One talent is equal to 20 years of labor, right, which is probably a lifetime of work. Uh, but the slave falls in, on the slave's knees and says, please have patience because I will pay you every Everything. That's ludicrous. If the slave gives the, the, the king, the lord, every cent that the slave earns over their entire life is only going to be one ten thousandth of what he owes. And the king, in his uh, mercy and his grace, forgives the debt. Uh, their relationship is restored, but the slave goes out uh, and is a real jerk over just a little bit of money, who only, someone owed him 100 denarii, which still, that's not an insignificant amount, that's 100 days of labor, uh, that's a third of a year, uh, four months of, of salary, uh, salary, like they had salary, uh, <laughs> four months of, of wages, of hard work, um, and he demands uh, demands payment from that fellow slave, and the king finds out about it, not happy, uh, and so summons the slave. Uh, and then here it gets a little intense. You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And so my heavenly father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That's super intense at the end. And I think we're conditioned to hear it in a very particular way. And that's sort of the economics of salvation kind of thing. Your sins are on one side. You got to balance the sins. And when you go into sins, it's like we think of it like our our liturgy chips that we've talked about. You go into debt on your chips and you got to pay the chips back. Uh, you're going to be tortured uh, at the gates of hell until uh, you have paid your debt. But I don't think that's what we're actually getting at. What I think instead we're getting at is that larger systematic issue um, that there is a nuance to forgiveness, that it is one thing to forgive the sin. We're, we're gonna we're gonna tread. We're gonna touch on some language that has been misused, certainly, uh, to describe uh, sexuality in the church. Right? L- uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. But that is what Jesus is getting at here. The sin itself, the behavior, the destructive relationship between people, is not. Uh, forgiven, The person is forgiven and that destructive, that broken link between us is made whole. And so I think what Jesus is saying is whatever it takes to to get rid of that brokenness, to to erase that debt is what will happen. Um, so I think that redeems a bit of the individual sort of scary gloom and doom uh, threatening
0: nature of this. Did I convince you man? yeah i guess i mean like it's it's, man the brutality of the law i mean oh my goodness um yeah
1: i mean i think it's like we see the hole in in unlimited forgiveness and living together right like that's a real thing that there comes a point where you can't live together if the person if, if, if a behavior in the community doesn't go, is not changed. Classic example would be domestic violence here, right? That would be an easy easy one to go to. Maybe not a sermon, but it's it's a clear example, right? You don't ask uh, the victim of domestic violence to forgive uh without any sort of expectation that the behaviors change. Insert that into the parable. What do you mean, domestic violence? Uh, let's say a victim of domestic violence came and said, Lord, if another member of my household right sins against me, how often should I forgive them? And Jesus says, you should always forgive them forever. That's probably not pastoral advice that I hope that you've given to somebody, Matt. Um, I've not yet given that advice. But Jesus does say that. Uh, But he follows it up with this really severe story about not that the the slave here is not punished um, in of themselves. The slave here is not the enemy, but the debt of the slave is the enemy. Um, uh, The Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. And debt here is describing the relationship between the Lord and the, the slave And so within inserting it into the story, uh, full forgiveness will not be achieved, cannot be achieved until that behavior, that relationship is,
0: is reconciled, is made
1: whole again.
0: I think, too, like the, I think the sin that Jesus chooses to talk about is, is relevant, right? That this is, this is. This is financial debt. There's power and money involved in the story that Jesus tells, right? Because um, he could have told a different story with different, like... Like, he could have told a story about domestic violence. And, I, like, I'm, I'm curious what that would look... What it would look like to, like... If, if it's possible to retell the story, to retell the parable in that way. But I think that, like... But I think there's already this huge power differential, right? Between the king and the slaves. And then there's this crazy debt. And you wanna talk about debt, right? And what debt, like just the role that that plays if we're talking about, when we talk about power and the way that we assert power over each other. Um, and then uh, and then it continues, right? With like, so there's, there's this massive power differential, the king and the slaves, and then the slave tries to assert power over the other slaves, money and power, man. Like, it's just, it's craziness. And there's this, it's like, so I think that's relevant. I think that's relevant. Mm -hmm. I also think the other piece that I think is relevant is that, like, that's also a a piece of the Lord's Prayer that comes up, right? And I don't know if this is the the wording in Matthew. Mm -hmm. I think we should... If I was really, if I was really prepared, I would have looked that up. Um, but forgive us our debts, right? As we forgive our debtors. That's one translation of the Lord's Prayer. And here, here it is, right? Here's a parable about that exact like phrasing. I think that thing of debts and debtors is like, it's a really relevant image um, for how we think about this. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh.
1: Right? Or something? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I got to tease out there. But I think what I was trying to say, and I'm going to say much more succinctly, with a nice example, is that there's a difference between pardon and forgiveness. Um... Again, if only the gospel uh, were were not apolitical, uh, let's say, for example, uh, I don't know, like the president had pardon power uh, and could just pardon federal crimes. <laughs> just because the president pardoned uh, an individual for their crimes does not mean that they are forgiven and certainly does not mean that that their relationship with their victims uh, and with the communities in which they live are suddenly made whole. I think that perhaps was the, is the difference, uh, the, the, uh, a more nuanced uh,
0: understanding of forgiveness that's
1: getting fleshed out in this parable.
0: Yeah, because that's not even like that kind of pardon. I mean, <laughs> like forgiveness implies uh, this person did something wrong. Uh, they repented uh, or there's at least some acknowledgement that what happened was wrong. Uh, and so we're going to just, we're going to pardon that. <laughs> what, what, sometimes what we see is not even a willingness to acknowledge that there's a problem with that situation, right? And so we're just, the pardon is really just, uh, I don't agree with this law, which is kind of. <laughs> But also somehow related Because I think like even if you're going to talk about Student loans I mean what a bunch of Horseshit like why are we like We're supposed to be investing in The future of our country right and instead what We're doing is we're going to shackle the next Generation with these loans that are going to be Impossible to pay off and then we're going to act like oh It's your responsibility to pay these off yeah Sure probably to some extent but are We not supposed to be investing in our next Generation is that not supposed to be a thing that's important to Us I mean we're all going to benefit from that are We not like if you believe Uh, that you, if you actually want somebody to take care of you when you are old and desolate, maybe you ought to invest in the next generation. I mean, what is this system of debts and loans that we have set up? Is it a fair system? Is this a good system? Maybe we ought to question the system itself. And maybe that's part of, maybe that's part of this story too, right? That God's about to upend the whole system, not to just figure out the checks and balances, but like Mm -hmm. figure out, just upend the whole system because the whole system is corrupted.
1: Perhaps debt is a symptom of, our inability to live in the oneness that uh, is our reality, because that, that's the, the one of the issues at the heart of, of what motivates the Lord, the King, to come after the dude here. Debt means that you're not on equal footing with the one to whom you're indebted, or the one that you are, uh, have a debt with. Uh, and when that Relationship is made right here when the debt is removed. Uh, the slave and the Lord should be one. The slave should reflect fully uh, the life, the generosity of uh, the Lord. And clearly, that's not the case. The debt, even though the the debt has been pardoned, the debt's not been forgiven. Um, they are not.
0: I mean, right? Like, and our uh... failure
1: to see uh, students. Uh, for those of us who pay taxes and all that kind of stuff, right, and support and more or less are theoretically in charge of public universities, our failure to see and understand and see ourselves in, uh, in, in students, right, who are the next generation, our uh, Sheriff Joe, inability to see all of the people in our communities as ourselves, to see ourselves in them, yes. leaves us yes. indebted to each other.
0: Yes. And that's, and, that's, and that's the piece that I wish that we could carry forward, right? That we are all indebted to each other. I mean, it's this extraordinary thing where we come to church on Sundays. We have a whole country that comes to church on Sundays, hears about grace, wants to talk about grace, wants to talk about forgiveness, wants to celebrate how God has granted us pardon, and then walks out the door and acts like, oh, uh, you still owe me. Um, oh, law and order, law and order, law and order. You just got came out of a service where God upended the whole system of law and order, and then you're going to walk out the door and trumpet law and order like you are the one who's supposed to be, um, like like you are somehow qualified to go out and uh, and be the arbiter of law and order. Like, who do you think you are? I mean, that's the question that I would ask at the end of the text. Who do you think you are? Like, you think that you, you are without debt? I mean, he, ugh. I mean, this is, imagine if there were a country that was... <laughs> That that began uh, by exterminating a whole people in genocide, and then uh, and then enslaved another race of people, and then turned around and was like, "Um, "Yeah, you just crossed this border that we made up. So clearly, we ought to enforce law." Do you not know who you are? Do you like? Do you not realize that we all are indebted to each other? That we all live under under sin, right? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe we ought to treat one another with a little grace. But we don't actually believe that, right? We don't actually believe that we are all um, under the law. I mean, here is a text where I think law and gospel becomes, man, I mean, what you really see the law as this thing that ought to um, send all of us to our knees, right? That none of us ought to be high and mighty about law and order. We all ought to be on our knees um, because we're all, (laughs) we're all lawbreakers here, right? Like we are all lawbreakers and we ought to see ourselves as such. And then what does gospel impel us to do? The fact that we have been forgiven by God, what does that actually impel us to do? It means we have to treat one another with grace. Right. It means we have to treat one another as brothers and sisters uh, deserving of our forgiveness. So, man, it's incredibly relevant. It's incredibly relevant. I would also I also like if you're going to go student loans, too. I mean, like, here's another example of where you could really push. I mean, you don't want to preach an idea. I know. Right. But man, could you could you unpack some lectures here? Because Alan Story, uh, who's this pastor in South Africa, um, he's a white pastor in South Africa, and he's the pastor of one of the most multiracial churches in South Africa. And he preaches on manna and mercy, and talks about the story of God giving manna in the wilderness as being something that's against the very idea of savings and debt, which is what our whole like economic system is based on, right? Like you're not going to buy a house unless you're going to go into some debt, right? Like we have we've accepted this system, we live under this system, but in fact, the system of manna that God offers says if your brother or sister is still hungry, you should just give them the food, and then you shouldn't save any for the next day like let's just make sure everybody gets enough today and then we'll move on right so how does this person get into this much debt to begin with if he needed something to eat if he actually needed something to live on the king should have just given it to him period or if it wasn't something you and the king knew that he was getting more and more into debt what the hell was the king giving him that much money in the first place for right like is this not predatory lending mm-hmm. like it seems like this is some predatory lending going on right either it's something you need like a student loan in which case you ought to just give it to him or this is some kind of predatory le- This is like payday lending, right? There's something like really like going on here. So I push, I push that. Right. And then you can even think about, because I'm reading this, uh, history of the Reformation right now via audible.com. One of our podcast sponsors, <laughs> if only, um, talking about how, uh, right. There was a whole period in our history where Christians were not supposed to lend money. Um, but let the Jewish people do it. <laughs> <laughs> right but took advantage of that right Uh it was a whole thing where they took advantage of it and they could Uh like so they could demonize Jewish people but they still like participated in the system because they could benefit from it when they wanted to right it was this whole thing in Christian history about loans and indebtedness that we have now somehow conveniently forgotten (laughs) but I think it's totally worth pushing that I love it preach on student loans you should do it you got a whole you got a sermon series you could preach I'm just going to play back that segment from the podcast (laughs) I'm going to drop this expensive mic because I'm talking too much.
1: No, no. Preach, Matt. Preach. I do want to add uh, a comfortable word of grace for a moment here. Uh, I mean, you don't have to. Right? We don't don't have to forgive our debtors. Um, I mean, the Egyptians didn't do it. Uh, Didn't stand in the way of the things God was doing. And it it wasn't super comfortable for the Egyptians, the future. Uh, Getting drowned is not, uh, I've heard, uh, a very pleasant experience. Uh, You know, and and like the slave, he didn't have to, right? Uh, He's only going to be tortured until uh, the debt is paid. So that's not forever, right? God's going to do some big things and take care of that. So you got options here. You got options. You don't have to do nothing. But there probably are some more life-giving ways to
0: live. Yeah, and I think there's there's a real contrast, right? Like you could set up you could set up a lot pretty hard here. Um, but then I think that life-giving way to live, I mean that's that's verse thirty-five, right? And uh, and that'll flow like cooling waters. So good luck. Good luck for you, tier. <laughs> like the cooling waters
1: of the the red slash reed sea over the bodies of the egyptian soldiers
0: oh i do think can i say one more thing and then, yeah, I, and then I'll
1: please no this is good this is what people come I, to the podcast for man.
0: i do think that so um so i can get all i can, you know you can you can rage against the system right but i do think that what jesus does here too is that he takes it he like he starts out by talking about the system i think right because there's a king and the slaves and so you're you can rail against the the whole student loan system. But then he brings it right down to to us as individual people, right? So it's very easy to be like, oh, the sin is out there in the political system and just Yeah, but how are you treating the person next to you? Right? And he indicts both things, right? He indicts the political system, but he also indicts us and how we're treating that person that's sitting right next to us. And so I think that he does both the global and the local um, right there, I think that's important, right? Because it means that even us, like we can be at social justice warrior, but we still lie under the the condemnation of the law, and that's important. That's important, right? Like that's important. And, and I think all. there's, I mean, I think maybe a helpful thing too to say
1: or to make explicit is you have this structural and this personal thing going on all at once. And within the church, I think easily from the, from the pulpit, we can pretty easily go to and inhabit that sort of uh, the fullness of the, of the personal here. Um, and we can cast stones pretty easily at the structural, like our larger society and community. But... Um, in your congregation, in your context when you all make uh, and not just St. Mark's speaking to the larger church here, uh, how often does this understanding of debts uh, shape what you do? right Most congregations are notoriously fiscally conservative, um, right? I was just in tech study, a check-in with, with some of my colleagues and there's a church there that's got a million dollars uh, in their checking account and they've run into some asbestos uh, in a remodel of the, of the sanctuary and people are very worried about it and they think they need to have a special appeal because you don't want to mess with that million dollars you just sitting there doing nothing. How can we yeah. be freed from that? Yeah. Which is a debt in of itself that we carry, right? Like, how can we be freed yep. from that to, to live... With all that man and all that grace, uh, all that freedom—that's on the other side.
0: So not much to work with this week.
1: Not much at all. Not much that's at all. Sorry, you guys. That's a shame. What's... Maybe next week. Better luck. Better luck next time. Here's the challenge, Matt. We got a lot. We just we just did a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> how uh, how are you going to distill that down to one good news statement? Also, isn't it a shame you're not preaching this week?
0: <laughs> you done Is it? it, it. As... I am. I'm going to move these texts I know, to the following I know. to the following week. But um, yeah, no that is, I mean, that's going to be the challenge, right? That is definitely so the challenge. Much. I, I am, can't do everything. That's the problem here. I do think the good news, I'm going to pull it from Exodus, even though I like this Matthew text a lot and I've, I used it a lot. Um, but I think that line in verse 25, Exodus 14:25, the Lord is, is fighting for them against Egypt. And I turned that around to the Lord is fighting for us against Egypt. And I might think about what that means. Cause what it says is that God is on our side. We talked a lot about, we talked a few weeks ago about which side are you on? And this is that God is on our side and is fighting against Egypt. And that might look like a system of debts. And it might look like all the ways that we enslave ourselves um, or allow ourselves to be enslaved and all these all the ways that you could talk about the Egypt, the Pharaoh within us, but to know that God is on our side. And to me, that's, that's gonna be the good news. You're gonna have to make that reality of evil real enough that you want it to be dead on the seashore right but the good news is that god is god is on our side it's all a damn
1: golden calf anyway. sorry i'm gonna rant Perhaps a <laughs> second you're right. it's a damn golden calf anyway right saving and debt and all like you're lifting up there right and now we're like hey why don't we tax 401k so uh we can pay for corporate tax breaks not real that uh salvation is not eternal not true golden calf I agree I think I'm probably I mean I think I got to hit my good news is going to take a little bit of uh, gymnastics right but I I really like that idea that the good news is that all God calls us to do is to keep walking that's that that there are uh, there's this cosmic dimension to the, uh, which I think people need to hear, right? I think that's maybe a, a slightly different, uh, tact the same sort of like larger structural issues is, is it's not simply larger structural issues. It's a cosmic scale of the wrestling that, that we've been doing forever. And there's so much resonance with this story through, through history and that it's easy to get swept up in, swallowed up by the structural issues. Um, right? Like if you're a student, are you going to leave and so you would be like, "Well, I'm not going to take student loans anymore." You're, you're probably not empowered to do much about that, right? But you Yeah. But I'll, but but hopefully we can empower folks to keep on walking, um, mm-hmm. and, and keep on walking in a particular way. But but I think that's the goal.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about that too, and about how how hard that is to keep walking. And I mean, I don't know how you you got to play with the metaphor, right? And the metaphor is never an equal sign. But to think about how high that – like if you're going to imagine this story, whether it's real or whether it's – but if you're going to imagine your way into this story, think about these walls of water that are towering over them, right? And to think about what what it is that towers over us and is terrifying. And there's a a pathway. There's a play There's a next step to be taken, um, but to also make those – that, that army behind you those walls of water on either side to make that all real too you know love it what love are you gonna it. listen to Matt? Ah! so uh yeah so I got I got a couple songs so um I'm gonna start with uh, with a song by the doors called break on through wow, you to took the it other side. <laughs> are you gonna use it I mean ah! how could you not use it this weekend how could you not right <sighs> I was trying to think of some songs that could hold the the majesty of this kind of story, and I uh, had to go back in time for the Doors. Break on through to the other side. Uh, we're both we're both pulling that one out, throwing it on the on the playlist.
1: Oh man, that's good. That's good, Matt. Since you stole that, I'm going to go with another one of our classics, uh, a favorite of the vinyl preacher, uh, the Blue Scholars. Uh, you got a their first album, uh, Blue Scholars. It's it's tremendous. It's a tremendous album, uh, and I'm gonna go to it for a, for not one of the, the the singles, not one of the the really popular songs off of it, but there is a song on the Blue Scholars. Blue Scholars their 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 debut album called Life and Debt, which is nice. Of course, it's the Blue Scholars. They're whatever you call it, right? Uh, really into structural stuff, and they talk about the role debt plays. Really, they're playing with death, uh, life and death. Uh, but it ends with some good news. I love how you love the people as much as so I love it how you want to redistribute the wealth. Third world sister, never sacrificing substance for style, but stylish with a golden type smile. I love it how you organize with other strong sisters. Love it how you talk about tearing down the system. Uh, yes is the answer to your question. Life and
0: debts. Love it. Well, I'm going to, um, if I started my playlist with Break Up to the Other Side, I'm going to close it off with uh, a song, an old song by Bobby Darin called Beyond the Sea. Beyond the Sea. It'll look ahead. It's like a jaunty little, it's like a jaunty little, uh, little old school song. But I, I think it's actually like, um, even though we're dealing with these serious, um, overwhelming issues, and I think that's true, on the other side of the sea, Moses and Miriam are dancing um, they're having a, a lighthearted fiesta, and so uh, I imagine Bobby Darin uh, "Beyond the Sea" on their playlist. If uh, anybody knows of a good cover of this song that remixes it, I would love to. Uh, I would love to hear that too. But uh, "Beyond the Sea" and that also points us to what lies beyond, which I'm sure we'll tackle next week.
1: Oh, oh, Matt, I switched it up here at the last second because that's <laughs> made me think of one of the songs uh, that we're hearing a lot currently in my household, uh, my beloved child, uh, is a big fan of the uh, animated picture uh, known as uh, Moana. And so this comes to you from the old Moana soundtrack here. It's called uh, How Far I'll Go. Uh, (laughs) Yes. uh, Matt, you're gonna love this. I've been staring at the edge of the water long as I can remember, never really knowing why. I wish I could be the perfect daughter, but I come back to the water no matter how hard I try. Uh, and it's all about, right, uh, seeing what lies on the other side there. And how do you get to the other side of the water, map? You take one step uh, into the water and you'll find out what lies out there. No one knows how deep it goes and it seems like
0: it's calling me. Good stuff. Do you want the, uh, the 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 movie version or the Alessia Cara single version? I don't really like the Alessia
1: Cara version. No, you don't like it. I like the movie version better. Uh, but either one, you know, I mean, it's definitely poppy. Okay, I mean, I got she it. makes it sound hey, kind um, of like sexual and I don't... <laughs> that's not my experience with the song, you know?
0: That's true have you seen the movie oh i've not seen the movie that's right i haven't seen it Matt. it's on netflix i know that's what the kids tell me every single time i say i haven't seen it oh uh but i know the song well because i helped to run a summer day camp for little kids this summer oh, that's right and it was the song of the despacito made the song of the summer for the teenagers but but the little ones uh how far i'll go is still dominating 2017 hey fun fact do you know who co-wrote the water soundtrack no who's Linda that Paul Miranda. Oh. What? Well. Oh. Uh, i have one
1: housekeeping note man unless you yes. have other songs we have a new enemy of the pod yeah did, what did you
0: see this i did i did. i was so i was so stunned oh. i didn't know how to respond
1: what a bummer. <laughs> Ben Adams was number one fan of the pod and now has moved to number one enemy of the pod. Or not number one. He's a self, self-proclaimed case. Rick is still number one enemy from my eyes, uh, but he's declared himself as an enemy of the pod just because we bashed Detroit a little bit. I can't even remember that. What did you What did you say? I don't. I don't remember either. I'm sure it was <laughs> it was well intentioned. It, it must have been memorable. I mean, I think here's what I'll offer as a as a as an olive branch. Uh, number one, I'll offer the piece of information that that I've never been to Detroit, uh, so so I may not be the world's best. You've expert never been all.
0: to Detroit.
1: I've been to Ann Arbor. Is that Detroit? Adam took me the right City. I've been to right time. Motor City. to Big D. Farmington Hills is that Detroit? Number number two, Matt i uh i really enjoy parking wars which is oftentimes set is set in detroit and so that's one of my favorite a and e shows so um i like watching people lose their minds for no reason uh and i recognize that there's some some ethical issues with parking wars because it of course is a predatory practice that disproportionately affects the poor. but also i like people losing their minds and parking really dumb and then getting very upset with when they're triple parked why they're getting a ticket um and stuff. It really is one of my favorite shows. So, uh, I mean, that's my olive branch. I don't know if that's going to be good enough. We'll have to, to wait till next week see if. I am not familiar we, with that. Show. We could see if we can be forgiven, not pardoned, forgiven.
0: I, I just want to say that although uh, we both lie under condemnation of the law, and Ben Adams, <laughs> uh, I love Detroit. My, my, I, I married a Detroit uh, fan. Uh, Chris grew up in Western Michigan, but rooted uh, hard for the uh, Detroit Tigers, and especially the Detroit Red Wings. Um, when I, uh, My mom uh, has gotten our girls uh, sport many sports things from the Chicago teams, the Bulls, the Cubs, and then my mom said, oh, i got to get them some Blackhawks stuff, and Chris said, no, I'm drawing the line uh, because they will only be wearing Detroit Red Wings here. Uh, they do have uh, Tigers stuff that their, uh, their grandparents uh, on their maternal side, I've gotten them. I've been to a Tigers. I went with Adam. I went to Farmington Hills, but then we went to Comerica Park to see a game. They've got this tiger that, like, every time there's a home run, the tiger's eyes go red. It's awesome. It's great. I love it. I love yeah. it. And then uh, went to Detroit for the ELCA National Youth Gathering oh, yeah. in 2018. And what a – man, what a cool city. What a, it's, what a cool city it is. I, Detroit, man. Detroit is really – it's a good place. I mean, it's a good place. I don't care what you say. I, Paris, a, I, I think Detroit is just, it's
1: fantastic. I just have never had the experience. That's, that's probably what it is. I mean, I, I'm such a fan of Detroit that, that when we were in seminary, I sent both of our wives there to go to the sweet 16. Uh, cause, cause Hannah won tickets to go to the sweet 16 and Chris and Hannah went and they got to watch a young Steph Curry from Davidson beat up on Wisconsin.
0: Um, so what did they really? Yeah, <laughs> they did. <laughs> That's crazy, that's crazy. Detroit, man, home of I mean, Detroit, home Little of the, Caesars, the, the the Little Caesars, <laughs> the Henry Ford Museum, Joe Louis Arena, and the Joe Louis Fist. What a cool statue that is. I mean, oh there's my goodness, there's uh, I mean, a Diego. What's this name there, right? You got Diego Rivera murals. Oh, my God. Those are pretty – they're incredible. I mean, I, I'm i a Diego Rivera connoisseur having traveled mm-hmm. to many of the Diego Rivera sites in Mexico, and those Detroit murals are – they're on another level. Uh, and you got – I mean, we're the vinyl preacher. Some of the best vinyl records of it's all true. time were from it's where? True. Motown. Hits City. Motown. Uh, fun fact about Motown. I mean, we could go on and on about Detroit. Maybe we need a special emergency pod. But <laughs> when we went to the Motown Museum, uh, Hitsville, USA, mm-hmm. they had this little – um summary hey you know like all those people the people that when motown started i mean this was basically like an after school program for youth like they were like teenagers i mean these were like kids in their late teens making some of the best music i think in the history i mean ladies are like these are some incredible um pop and r&b songs some of the best music history coming out we're gonna forget about him coming out The white music out of Motown, um, out of out of out of Michigan, uh, not the greatest. Except for, uh, I will say, Bob Seeger. Gotta love. Oh yeah. If you go to um, the road, I once it, talk about cultural exchange here. Um, I once explained to one of the um, African American members of my congregation. You know, I often learn about cultural things from uh, from from this community. They said, "Oh, Pastor, you got to share some things from your community." And so I <laughs> said, "Well, you know," I said, "When we went to Detroit, I said, you know, um, so." You know, when you go to a, um, a wedding in the black community, you'll often have like, um, they'll play the wobble or they'll play the cha-cha, you'll do these line dances. They're just like, they're way better than the country line. Dance. I mean, it's like, it's so cool. And everybody knows the dance. The first time I saw this, I was like, how does everyone know this dance? Do you learn this at home? It's incredible. I said, <laughs> but you know what? If you go to a white people wedding, um, particularly in the Midwest, I have been to some of them in Michigan, uh, including my own, which was in Michigan what happens is they'll play the Bob Seger song, take those old records off the shelf and it floods the dance floor. Uh, and we don't even really dance. We just kinda uh, it's, it's kind of pump our fists. It's like a cultural experience. Um, so Bob Seger, uh, he's like, he's if you need to flood the dance floor at a white people wedding in the Midwest, Bob Seger, man. Bob what Seger.
1: a generous reading of white Midwestern culture.
0: <laughs> <Have> we- <laughs> I got
1: nothing else, man.
0: <laughs> I got nothing else for now. For now. If
1: we can't be forgiven now, I don't know if there's any hope for us, man. Uh, well, it's uh, it's been real, Zach. It's been real. It's been real what?
0: It's been real Bible.